welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 860. Sound of a broken bell, and the pieces tumbled and disappeared in the dark grass. Tim was more experienced than me, stronger, and with longer reach. Even poisoned and with half a sword, he made a good showing of himself. It took me nearly half a minute before I snuck past his guard with lover out the window and severed his hand at the wrist. He fell to his knees, letting out a raspy howl and clutching at the stump. I struck him high on the chest and headed for the trees. The fight hadn't taken long, but every second was vital, as the others were already scattering into the woods. I hurried in the direction I'd seen one of the dark-shaped stagger. I was careless, so when Alec threw himself on me from the shadow of a tree, he caught me unaware. He didn't have a sword, only a small knife flashing in the moonlight as he dove for me, but a knife is enough to kill a man. He stabbed me in the stomach as we rolled to the ground. I struck the side of my head against a root and tasted blood. I fought my way to my feet before he did and cut the hamstring on his leg. Then I stabbed him in the stomach and left him cursing on the ground as I went to hunt the others. I held one hand tight across my stomach. I knew the pain would hit me soon, and after that, I might not have long to live. It was a long night, and I will not trouble you further and I will not trouble you with any further details. I found all the rest of them as they made their way through the forest. Anne had broken her leg in her reckless flight, and Tim made it nearly half a mile despite the loss of his hand and the wound in his chest. They shouted and cursed and begged for mercy as I stalked them through the forest, but nothing they said could appease me. It was a terrible night, but I found them all. There was no honor to it, no glory, but there was justice of a sort and blood, and in the end I brought their bodies back. I came back to my tent as the sky was beginning to color to a familiar blue. A sharp, hot line of pain burned a few inches below my navel, and I could tell from the unpleasant tugging when I moved that dried blood had matted my shirt to the wound. I ignored the feeling as best I could, knowing I could do nothing for myself with my hands shaking and no decent light to see by. I'd have to wait for dawn, to see how badly I was hurt. I tried not to dwell on what I knew from my work in the Medica. Any end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Uh, I think from the fight with Tim that we should take that Quoth is not nearly as good as the average Adem. I think Tempe would have made short work of Tim. Yeah, I mean, the Adem characters tell us as much, right? They're like, yeah. you're, you're like pretty good for a barbarian, but you're not as good as Tempe is. Exactly, which I like. I like that he doesn't also become the very best at fighting. You know, I like that he is, he's now better than the average uh, thug. He still fights for what is an eternity in a fight. I think 30 seconds is a really, really long time to be like scrapping with someone. But, you know, I appreciate that, you know, he's he's now quite good, but he's not the very best at this. Mm -hmm. And he still gets, like, he still almost dies basically due to like bad luck and not, you know, not knowing that someone is going to sneak up on him, right? He's not yeah. an invincible super. And villain. you know what? I think this scans as well. Cause like, this is a couple times he's sort of surprised, right? Or like his, his situational awareness isn't good, which makes sense. Cause this is really the first like real fight, mm -hmm. real like battle that he's been in where he is like, you know, fighting person to person. So on the previous page, he gets Tim gets the jump on him as he passes the wagon. And then on this page, Alec gets the better of him. So I feel like a more seasoned fighter wouldn't have fallen into those traps. 
Mm-hmm. This is why he prepared the battleground ahead of time, right? Because I think he That's knows right. about himself. Like, I've never really been in a serious fight before. This could all go tits up on me. And it very nearly does, even though he's taken all these precautions. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, I also appreciate that unlike the bad guys in a video game or in a uh, a fantasy novel that's more about like heroic combat, these guys do not immediately go, all right, lads, there's only, there's only one of him. There's 14 of us. We can take him. They, a couple of them die and the rest of them go, ah, and run into the woods. Except the one guy whose job it is to like be their bodyguard is like, you know, has enough presence of mind to be like, if we all run away, he's probably just going to keep killing us. Uh, so I'm going to try to get him first. And honestly, he might succeed if Cloth hadn't been thinking, there is that one big dude with the sword. I better prepare for that guy, you know? And then Aleg basically is like, shit, this might be my one chance to like ambush him and take him by surprise. And I might be able to get him if I can do that. But the rest of them just kind of go, I'm taking my chances in the woods and I'm going to hope that I can outrun the rest of my gang and that he won't catch me. They panic. Mm-hmm. Uh, pro tip, if you're a DM and your combat encounters tend to drag out, having the last few stragglers cut and run is a good way to uh, to end a combat encounter without feeling cheap. I am making notes. <laughs> yeah, if the players are already winning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I quite like to to play my uh, my monsters this way, like play them as cowards, and as soon as the fight starts to turn, have them run. Because frankly, combat is the worst part of those games. Uh, let them let them clearly show their their metal, but there's no reason to fight to the last man. And there's no reason that a group of random goblins would fight to the death every yeah, single one. That's the thing. In you know, if you think about it in terms of the fiction, most people don't fight to the death you know, if they can avoid it, right? Like if, you know, if you're a soldier in a war and, you know, the battle is going badly for you, you retreat or to put it in Monty Python terms, you run away, you know? I've read that in in pitched battles, very rarely did anyone get killed until one army routed. Yeah. Oftentimes it was just posturing and like bashing shields against one another until whatever occurred occurred that caused an army to rout. And then the killing would start because then they're out of formation and they're just running. And that's when they can get picked up by cavalry and, and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's not... There's usually, you know, people are dying, but once the arm, once the one side breaks, then the battle is over and you're just mopping up. Well, I mean, what I mean... I mean, obviously, this is like a very wide range of time, but what I've read is that very rarely are you actually, like, actually fighting, exchanging blows. Like, the, most of the time, you're waiting for one army to rout. That is not the case. Okay, uh, well, if, agree if, to disagree. In... From my re, I've been reading a couple of uh, nonfiction historical books lately, and you're like half right. Like in especially in like sort of early medieval times, you'd have like two shield walls bunched up against each other, and like you're stabbing guys over the shield and under the shield, but it's two shield walls pushing back and forth until you know you break through their shield wall somehow, often with like a cavalry charge or something. Something else will cause their formation to dissolve. And after that, they will tend to rout where I think you're in early modern battlefields often because those were like even worse in some ways. And I have heard that in some of those, oftentimes the two armies would 
their commanders were far enough away and the soldiers on either side of the army did not actually want to start a battle that was going to get them all killed. So they would like make it look like they were fighting without actually engaging the enemy. And everyone just kind of agreed, like, let's play fight so that the generals think we're fighting. And after a couple of hours, one side will run away and that'll be that. (laughs) Which honestly, big mood. I would absolutely do that. Yeah, I find the psychology of like, uh, like an ancient soldier really interesting because like the actual Lord of the Rings, I think gives us an unfair idea about what those battles would have been like. I think it was probably much more like trepidation, shall we say. I think a lot of, a lot of the tactics then would have been around keeping discipline and helping you feel confident in your army so that you'll do the things like charge a shield wall and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, The other thing I want to talk about that is something that's conspicuously absent I'm surprised that there is no uh, no specific fate for Keat, who mm. we talked about as being a particular kind of uh, of traitor, I suppose, someone who will inflict gender based violence on someone of their own gender. Um, Keat gets a bit of a spotlight in the previous scene, and so uh, I'm I you know we get everyone else who got spotlighted gets a moment. Like we understand, even though we don't like see it in the text. We understand that like Anne, you know, suffered for a little while before being mm-hmm. dispatched. Um, but uh, Keat, we do not. We simply assume that Quoth found her and did the needful. Yeah. And I feel like Rothfuss is trying to strike a balance between like showing Quoth, you know, dealing out these people's just desserts, but also not making him seem like too much of a butcher. You know, like you can only have your hero uh, like mortally wound and mangle so many like fleeing enemies before he starts to look like a real bastard. Uh, Even when these people have done the kind of horrible shit that they have done. And like even also by now they're helpless. I think the the fight has ended at this point. Oh, yeah. He's literally just like he's like he's Jason in Friday the 13th. He's just popping out of the woods and like doing them a murder. (laughs) But. He does also like make a point of leaving them alive enough to suffer until he can come back and finish them. Like, you know, Tim, he cuts his hand off, he strikes him in the chest, and then he leaves. And then Tim like runs away and he catches up to him later and kills him. Well, as we'll learn on the next chapter, he needs at least one alive to explain what happened to the actual raw troop. So mm. I think that's it's both about suffering, but also because he needs to hedge his bets and make sure at least one lives. Mm-hmm. Uh and Aleg he leaves, he, he he cuts his uh, hamstring so he can't leave and then mm-hmm. gets him in the gut. Yes, which are both excruciatingly painful wounds that will kill you after hours of agony. Yes. And I don't think it's an accident that he does no, that well, to the it, leader. It is Alec who ends up giving away the, uh, the, the game, who tells him what happened actually. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Jordana, you've been uncharacteristically quiet on this one. <laughs> I feel like you guys kind of covered it. <laughs> Just over here, sitting on the fence. <laughs> well, maybe you can sit on this fence. This is a letter from Gary who writes... Oh, wait, sorry, uh, sorry. Before uh, the letter, there was one more thing I wanted to bring up, which is that this is worth... Doing this for Quoth is worth dying. He, yeah. he takes a stomach wound, which could kill him in horrible agony, and he doesn't even stop to like check it. He goes, okay, 
then I better kill them all before this wound catches up with me because it might kill me. Yes. I think that's an important character note that this doing this is worth himself dying. Yes. yes. Well, finishing it, right? He, he's yeah. not going to he's not going to stop to do mm-hmm. first aid on himself. And that's the other thing just fit in terms of finishing it. He's also like he makes a point of hunting down every last one of them and making sure they die. Like he's not leaving anything to chance. He does not want any one of these people to escape him. Finish them. Exactly. <laughs> And now we will finish reading this letter from Gary, who writes on page 826 and the stone trial foreshadowing. Hi, pagers. On page 826, you lament the lack of foreshadowing of the stone trials, noting that an odd arrangement of stone might have provoked a note or question from Quoth. In these situations, I like to give Rothfuss the benefit of the doubt and attribute this storytelling choice to narrator Quoth. As he recants the story to Chronicler, Quoth chooses to withhold any hints at the trial to come for maximum drama. Am I being too kind to Rothfuss here? Cheers and thanks for all that you do for us, Name of the Wind enthusiasts. Signed to Gary. I think you're probably right. Like, I don't think <laughs> as much as I it pains me to say it, I don't think that everything needs a uh, a neat explanation. And I think that sometimes the author can just be allowed to do something because it fits for dramatic purposes. Maybe I sound like Jeremy when I say that, uh, but that's something that doesn't bother me as much as some other things. So. I'll Each passing moment, you make yourself more my servant, Nick. <laughs> this is the correct attitude to have. Most stuff is just stuff that happens. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> then why are we reading it if it doesn't mean anything? Because it's good. It's like good stuff that happens in a fun way that's good to read about. But like, that's all. Oh, I get it now. That's why you like uh, the Locke Lamora books. I mean... That's the only reason that anyone likes any entertainment. It's fun. It passes the time. It's entertaining. No, no, that makes sense. Because I, you know, I like things for reasons, but you just like things. <laughs> I like, I like. Here, here is what I actually believe. I want a story to be entertaining. That is the sole benchmark by which we judge if a piece of art is, if a piece of storytelling is good or bad. Did it entertain me? Yes or no. But there's tiers of good, right? Like something can be entertaining, but like you know, kind of dumb, the equivalent of jingling keys, and then something can be, you know, great and worthy of our time and attention. Yes, and I will even go so far as to say that I like entertainment that, like, has something to say about the human condition, but I think that I believe that that applies to a broader spectrum of things than you seem to. I I just like, I like a certain style. I like, uh, I like to be invited to participate to an extent. I don't like it so much when... Uh, when I can just sort of passively, especially with a book, I think I don't want to just passively absorb a book. I want. Oh yes, to I, I refuse to participate. I hate to participate. I don't want to do that. I want a story to be told to me. Ah, uh, and Jordana, dare I ask where you land? You know where Which I side land. Side of this picture <laughs> you graze on? Yeah, with a with a picket fence post jammed firmly up your butt. It's a flat fence. Uh, we can work the splintery plank from Jordana's rear on tomorrow's page. <laughs> the wind. wind. <laughs>